I always like to start with some kind of creative spine and I work off of that. You're listening to Creatives Making Money, the podcast for creatives who are on a mission to do the work they feel most called to do and make some money while they do it. This is a show for the makers, the dreamers, the doers, the creators, the artists, the crazy ones, and the ones who are determined to consciously build the life and career of their dreams. Here, we don't just believe in getting your dream job, we believe in creating it. So what does creative success even look like? How do we live a fully expressed, abundant AF life? That's precisely what we're here to find out. My mission with Creatives Making Money is to conduct 100 interviews with successful creatives and those who love and support them about money, career, and the process of making and doing what they most love, including all of the ups, downs, and in-betweens. I'm your host, Jamie Jensen, writer, storyteller, filmmaker, serial entrepreneur, and shameless creator. No matter where you are in your creative and financial journey, I'm here to help you create like you mean it. Hello and welcome to Creatives Making Money. Today, we are speaking with Megan Hartman, who I'm so excited to have today. If you don't know Megan, here's a little bit about her so you can refresh. That was terrible. I'm going to start over. Hello and welcome to Creatives Making Money. Today, we are speaking with Megan Hartman, who I'm so excited to share with you today. (laughs) All the things about her, she's amazing. Megan helps creative introverts craft personality-fueled words and websites that allow them to stand out without stepping into the spotlight so that their websites can actually sell for them, which is amazing because if you're an introvert, the last thing you want to do is be stepping out constantly into networking meetings and like speaking engagements and all that stuff. So having a website that really does the job for you is super, super powerful. Megan is the founder of Crafting Creative and she is the brains behind the Elevate website method for a DIY website that looks anything but amateur. So, so awesome. Hi, Megan. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Me too. (laughs) Um, So just to kind of, just to dive in real deep, real fast, I'm curious to know, so, you know, you're a designer and a a multi-talented woman, you know, you've got a lot going on creatively uh, in your business and outside your business. I'm curious, were you creative as a child? I, I guess I was, but I didn't think of myself as creative because I guess children don't really label themselves, which is nice. But I used to write stories, like short horror stories when I was a kid. And actually, like one of my stories was so good that my teacher was convinced I must have plagiarized it from somewhere. But I was too young to understand what plagiarism was as a concept. So I was like, I don't know if I did because I don't know what that means. So that was really my first memory of doing something creative and being recognized for it. Yeah, you were so recognized that they they, they freaked you out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this can't be yours. You can't be this talented. Right. What did that feel like? Do you remember? I remember my mom explaining it to me and she said plagiarism is like when you take someone else's words And in my mind, I was inspired by this story that I had read. 
And so I wasn't sure, you know, I just remember feeling like, I don't know if I'm breaking the rules by doing it in this way. Mm. So like you were inspired by something else you had read to create what you created. um, And it made you worry that that wasn't an okay way to create. Right. Like if you don't create purely on your own without any inspiration, then it doesn't really count as your creation. Do you think that's fair? I see now that that's totally unreasonable, but for most of my childhood and even into my adult life, that's what I thought it meant to be a creative. You thought that it meant that it was like creating purely without any outside influence? Yeah, like you were just inherently artistic and you would come up with these wild and amazing ideas all on your own. How has that definition changed for you? Since I've learned more about creativity and kind of developed that skill, really naming my business Crafting Creative was calling out the fact that I don't feel inherently creative and I want to work on that craft. And so as I've done that, I realized that creativity is more about finding patterns and connecting dots that other people might not see. Mm. How does that show up in websites? Well, in websites, I think there's definitely a balance happening because there are some some best practices that you need to adhere to, you know, to have the optimal page speed and rankings and just to make a good experience for people visiting your site. But you also want to bring in that creative element so that you can stand out. And so I think striking that balance between the creative and like the analytical is something that I love to do. I'm curious how, um, like just thinking, having that definition of creativity being something that has to purely just come from like within and can't be influenced by any outside inspiration. Whereas now you see it as recognizing patterns and kind of pulling that out and even using that as a way to help, help your clients stand out. I'm curious how, how that's impacted like your own relationship with, with being creative, you know, do you think that there are projects that you might've started that you didn't because, um, because you thought like, oh, well, this won't, this doesn't count, you know, or do you think that it's just been sort of this natural evolution for you? I think it has happened naturally. I'm, it's kind of like if you were to start writing by using some kind of writing prompt That's how I like to think of my creativity. I always like to start with some kind of creative spine and I work off of that. So I might notice, for example, that if I want to design an about page, I could look at one or two dozen different about pages across different different industries. And then I would pick up on the pattern of like, what are all of these pages including? What are the elements that's common among them? And then I would use that framework to create my own. So I'm always starting from something else. And usually it's like a culmination of what I picked up around the internet. But I think that it's still having those constraints allows me to be creative rather than starting from a blank page, which can just feel like mind-numbingly impossible. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that like there, I don't think that there is a way to create without it being some sort of collaboration with like, what else is already out there? You know, people like to use the word derivative as if it's a negative thing when everything, like 
how much, how much can we do that's like actually original? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> actually I mean, completely new. I mean, unless you grew up in a bubble with no media of any kind, I don't know how you could claim to be doing completely original work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm curious when you think about making, like building a website that is creative or is designed creatively, like what comes to mind? I ask this because um, even in doing strategy with, with clients of mine to, to have websites that convert or figure out how, the, how to like walk their customer through the story and through the experience and through the journey, um, it sometimes feels like we're doing a lot of the same things over and over and over again and finding new ways in and ways of innovating and of bringing their personality in in a creative way. I think it's a challenge, you know, um, and, and for anyone who's doing the same work in the same genre or with the same industry or, you know, in the same format for a period of time, it can start to be like, okay, I need to refresh myself or find a new way in. I'm curious, um, what are some ways that you've found that have helped you get really creative with websites? Is there anything that you feel particularly proud of um, that you've done? And, and like, what would you recommend to kind of keep that spark open, if that makes sense? Yeah. Yeah, such a great observation because when you're working like with a particular niche, say women online entrepreneurs, you can get to a point where everyone's stuff starts to look kind of the same. And so you want to bring that fresh perspective and go into it and be creative with it. And I found that the best way I can do that is to start with my client because regardless of if we're on the same space online, each person is unique. And so I like to bring their individual personality into it and I really get to know them. So when I create the site, people can look at it and think, oh my gosh, that's so Jenny or that's so Natalie, because what I've done is bring them onto the page. I literally can't hear you say like that's so without being like that's so raven (laughs) yes (laughs) and i'm like and making it really personality driven and individualized is so megan that is so crafty and creative of you (laughs) yeah because Um, i think some designers i mean i don't want to generalize but it seems like when i look at other people's portfolios they all start to look very similar in, in the aesthetic And I think that's because it's the designer projecting onto her clients, or maybe that's because the clients don't have a strong sense of what they want, but I really try to come at it in the opposite and start with my client in their individual aesthetic. Yeah. Do you think that that's like, I'm glad that we're bringing this up because it it brings up a whole, like, you know, with copy, we would talk about it in the terms of voice. Right. And I think visually when we talk about design, we're talking about aesthetic style, you know, look, right? Not so much sound, but like look and that mm. that visual experience. And I wonder how challenging do you think it is for a designer to like divert from their own natural style in order to um, create a range of looks for different clients? I'm not sure. I, For me, I've never felt like tied to a particular style. I feel a little bit like a chameleon that I can just go with different kinds of genres. And I imagine any good designer feels capable doing many things. So it could be 
that they're just not getting the feedback they need from the client or the client is just defaulting to that sort of aesthetic that the designer has on their own site. Mm-hmm. What do you think would get in the way of a designer? Like I'm asking this specifically because you talk about like looking at other portfolios and feeling like a lot of it looks stylistically similar or aesthetically similar. I'm curious just from your perspective, what you think would get in the way of them being able to like achieve that range or kind of, I don't know. I'm just so like, it's, it, I know that this is like a weird tangent to go off on, but it fascinates me because I'm coming into a place personally where I I have been like, this is my voice. And I don't think I want to write in other people's voices anymore, like ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I'm okay with that. And I think that that's just kind of where I'm at in terms of like writing for other people. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting from a design perspective too, because I think that that must be on some level, it's a creative conundrum. And on the other level, it's, there's something really exciting and fun about diving into a project that's completely different from anything else you've done that like allows you to explore different colors and textures and patterns and fonts and looks and feelings, right? Um, I just wonder if, if it's similar to, to writing in that, like in the struggle that I feel, you know, can be trying to, trying to convey a personality that isn't innately yours, um, or doesn't yeah. feel as natural to you versus it just being like such a fun experiment to dive into a different character and kind of be someone else in your work. Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and really with writing, I find it very challenging. So whenever I help my clients with writing, if I give them copy suggestions, I always have them take a pass over it to make sure that it is in their voice because I'm not good at writing in someone else's voice. But with design, I think I'm not really trying to embody their character and design from as if I am them. I'm just trying to design what I think would best represent them. And it's Mm -hmm. a very collaborative process. So there's always feedback happening so that I can adjust things as we're going. Have you ever had pushback on something that you designed for someone that you've, that you felt really strongly about, but the client like didn't see it and you're like, no, this is you. And the client's like, this isn't me. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? Never like this isn't me, but sometimes they'll push back on the way I'm, you know, laying out something and I have to revert back to, well, this is best practices. We want to create the best experience for your site visitor. And it's not necessarily about the cool features that you want to show. What, um, is there anything that you ever feel you get burnt out on with, with design and kind of working, working the way that you do with people and helping them with their websites? I do get burnt out on the design, I think, because I have a full-time job where I am a designer. And so, um, doing design then again, after hours, it's just a lot to take on. I think I get more enjoyment out of just helping people come up with their kind of standout brand positioning and maybe finessing their messaging a little bit because that doesn't take so much creative input, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're responsible for producing as much. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. When did you know that you wanted to be a creative professional? And guys, I'm not, I'm not glazing over the fact that she just said that she works full time as a designer. (laughs) 
we're totally going to touch on that. Um, but I'm curious, when did you, when was it clear that you wanted to be a designer? It wasn't something I really did intentionally, to be honest. I had just moved across the country from Seattle to Miami, and I was facing a dwindling bank account. And so I found this site called 99designs where you can submit designs to competitions, and then if you win, you get paid for it. And so I thought, oh, this is a great way to make some extra money. You know, I have a, a fine arts degree. I've taken some front-end development courses. I can do this. So I worked really hard. I built 10 sites in 10 days. None of them won. But then I had a pretty decent portfolio, and I actually got my first professional salaried position as a web designer from that. And that was a little over five years ago. And I've been doing it ever since. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, I love how that's how that all came together. Um, well, you decided to pursue a fine arts degree though, right? So at some point it was clear to you that that was, that you were going in a creative direction on some level, right? <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't super intentional either. I, I went to NYU and I was kind of a math and science nerd. And I thought I'll do something with chemistry or physics, but I was undecided. And then I found out that they're like one of the top film schools in the country. And so I went that direction and I ended up really falling in love with that visual art of crafting scenes. How did you pivot from math and science to, to film though? Like walk me through that. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. I'm so on board and I want you to like, like slow us down in the story for a second and, and tell me more about, you know, there was a moment when you decided, okay, I'm enrolling in film classes. You know what I mean? Or I'm applying, like, it's not, NYU is not like the easiest school to get into. It's not like, I mean, maybe it was for you and that's totally fine if that's the story. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty easy for me, but um, I thought it would be harder since I had no experience doing anything creative in my mind. Um, but I worked with my roommate who was in the film program and we put together a short film like in a night so that I could apply and I got accepted. Uh, I think the pivot point for me was just if I'm undecided and I know that they're the best in the country at film, I should just study what they're best at so I can get like the best use of my degree. That makes a lot of sense. It's funny because I'm seeing like <laughs> we're noticing patterns. <laughs> <laughs> I love how a lot of this is. I just made this decision and then I kind of whipped up a thing and then it worked out and I got exactly like it totally because it's funny how you like you worked your ass off you built 10 sites in 10 days right and then you had a portfolio and you landed your first job and with the going to film school it's kind of like well I just decided that that would be the best move so I just whipped up a short film and applied and I got in it's it's funny how these kind of flash decisions like you decide you commit you take action and then it just works out which for me feels like an incredible lesson, you know, for everyone listening that that's not only possible, but it's likely if, if you're clear and committed. And, you know, what's funny is that you're like, it wasn't intentional. And when I hear that story, my reaction is it's a hundred percent intentional. It might not be like you dreamed of it since for 10 years, but in that moment, mm -hmm. 
you, you like have a clear intention, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think things do tend to work out when you have an optimistic outlook and I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have gotten accepted and I would look back on it and say it still worked out because whatever that other path was would have been right for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to pivot here for a second and I want to talk about balancing your daytime job um, with with this, what I mean, for the context of this conversation, I'm going to call it side hustle work, um, but it's not. It's, you know, we can redefine it however it feels empowering to you and however make like feels right. But I want to talk about balancing, you know, having a day job as a designer with running your own business, working on creative projects on the side, supporting clients. Um, What does that look like for you? And how do you create the balance for yourself? It's not easy, especially when I wake up and I might be super excited about the work in my side hustle and I don't want to do the work that needs to be done for my day job. But I just have this internal desire to continuously improve myself and to better my skills and to learn new things. And so I think the option to only be in a nine to five and not pursue anything else just wouldn't work for me. And so I get more fulfillment out of also working a little bit extra, but I'm doing it in a way that I feel like I'm making a difference, not just improving myself, but I'm helping other people too. What do you think is the most fulfilling aspect of what you do for you? I don't know. I Maybe when I get feedback from clients or, or people in my audience that say like, oh, that thing you wrote really helped me or, or that video you made was, was really great. I think just knowing that the stuff I'm putting out is somewhat valuable to someone else because in a, a corporate job, you don't always get that direct feedback like, oh, you're making a difference here. You can kind of get lost in the day to day. Mm-hmm. Do you feel ever lost in the day-to-day and your business stuff too? Not as much. Not really, no. Mm. Do you have a project that you're like most proud of business-wise? Like maybe it was for a client or maybe it was something you worked on, you know, for yourself. Yeah, I think my latest um, client website for Jenny Carlson of Financials for Creatives I was really proud of that because so much of the feedback she got was like, oh, that looks so much like you. And so that I was able to create something that looked so much like someone else and not like me was something I could be proud of. How much of your, I'm curious, how much of your film degree do you think you put to use now in the way that you work with clients? I can definitely see correlations like with the storytelling aspect of film I try to make pages kind of flow like a story and certain aspects of the website you can kind of think of it as like scenes but there aren't a lot of things I realized quickly that I didn't want to pursue film so I'm not sure how valuable that degree was (laughs) (laughs) Um, what made you realize you didn't want to pursue it Well, because after I graduated with a degree from NYU, 
I would have to start at the same place as anyone else who wanted to make it in the film industry. I would work as a production assistant for like 18 to 20 hours a day, making like no money. And I thought, why would I do that if I'm not even sure that I want to be a director or an editor or whatever? Did you, it's, it's so funny. Um, I'm curious what, of all the subjects you studied in film school and like guys who are listening, this is a selfish question. It's for you too, but I'm just curious. <laughs> um, evil laugh. What was your favorite, what was your favorite subject in film school? I really loved editing, but not, not editing digitally with like Avid or Final Cut, but when I could edit on this machine called the Steinbeck, where you have like actual yep. film and you cut and you slice, I really loved doing that. I would never loved that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did love editing with Avid and Final Cut, more, more Final Cut than Avid, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, it's funny because the the enjoyment of that, I feel speaks so much to how I feel you're incredibly meticulous and how you work with clients and how you operate and just as a person. And I think that that it's, there's something that takes like a, it takes a certain level of meticulous detail and patience. Um, and, and you are literally putting scenes together and frames together physically. And it's funny because it doesn't, it's like not surprising to me that 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 you loved that. Um, Cause I think that that the skills that it takes to do that, particularly in that like old school way. Um, I think that those absolutely carry over into how you build sites that flow and like move from scene to scene, from frame to frame. Um, you know, the way that you painstakingly build beautiful sites for your clients. So. Thank you. You went to film school too, didn't you? I did. I did. My undergraduate degree was also at NYU, but it was an individualized study. Oh, at Gallatin? So I went to Gallatin, <laughs> where they basically let you do whatever you want. Amazing. I was like, um, I don't really want to like follow a path, so I'm just going to invent it. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah, do Gallatin. Um, I went to Gallatin, and then I also I did go to film school. I went to USC for film school, so I have my master's from USC. Amazing. Um, yeah, casual. Just, you know, <laughs> they're not good or anything. They're not good film schools or anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny. It is, it is, it's an interesting industry. And there's a lot, I mean, for those of you who've been listening to this podcast for a while, they've heard a lot of my story already about my experience working in Hollywood. And so it's, it's refreshing to also hear your perspective on it too. Yeah, well, you probably so you know so much more than I do because you have a master's in film, which is basically like a PhD since they don't have PhDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd call my program like an MBA more than a PhD because it's so business focused. Um, like it wasn't as creative as it was here. Learn the business of film. Um, Cause I, it, it is an MFA technically, but the program itself is focused on producing. So it's much more business focused than, anything else. I mean, we did make films and that sort of thing. And we did have writing classes, but it wasn't like I was um, studying directing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. I'm sure that helped like when you translated into your own business. Girl, it is, it, it is. I feel like I learned so much about business in general and the business of content, which is so much of what we do online. So 
Absolutely. I absolutely feel that it's, I for sure use all of that in my business and how I support clients and all of that. So, um, and so do you, I think you do. I think there's so many ways that you're using those skills that you probably don't realize. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we learn skills continuously just by living our lives. So I'm sure you've picked up things along the way. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think has been the biggest learning curve for you since starting your business? You know, like what didn't you know when you started that you feel like, oh, I wish I could go back in time and inject that information matrix style into my brain, but I'm so glad I know it now. I think even though I know it now, I'm still not doing it. And that is that you need to consistently create and share content and it's going to take three years at least. I think that's kind of the key to online business. When you say that it's going to take three years at least, three years for what? I think to build a following and become known for something. Just being showing up every day consistently for three years, then you start to be known as the go-to for that thing. So is that kind of, is that what you're doing now? Are you like in the process of, I'm doing my daily consistent content sharing and I'm on track for my three years. Is that, is that kind of your long game? It will be. I haven't started, I haven't started my three year countdown yet, but (laughs) I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical from creating so I can kind of determine what is the best way for me to insert value into the already existing plethora of content. Mm. What would be the most fun way for you to insert value? Hmm. That's a good question. I think writing is most easy for me, but I also really enjoy just talking to people and riffing off of ideas and helping them find clarity on what it is about them that makes them unique so they can stand out. How would that translate to content? I'm not trying to push you out of your sabbatical, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) How would I, don't I know. mean, I, you're, you're on this podcast, so you're officially off sabbatical now. <laughs> That's how this works. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we're just talking, but I don't know. It could be like a, some kind of video or audio show where I have someone on and we talk through their ideas. What do you think? I like that idea. I also think that what you're doing right now counts. Like this counts. This interview counts. Um, I might not be like checking, crossing an X off of the day on the calendar for three years, right? (laughs) Today, today you can put an X on the calendar because you showed up. Um, But I think it all counts. I think every time you show up, it counts. I think every time you engage with someone on social media, it counts. I think, I think it, it all counts. Um, So I, you know, I, I'm like, let's, let's honor that the same way that like, I'm like, what do you mean? That was totally intentional. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. (laughs) None of it's been, none of it's actually been an accident. You've worked your ass off. Um, And I think the fact that it's kind of felt easy or seemed easy for you has just been like a good sign of being in the flow. Right. Mm. So good. I feel like I've ever worked very hard, but I also have like rose colored, lenses when I look at the past. So it could have been that I just forgot that I did. Interesting. Is there anything else from your past that you look at that way? That's, that's sometimes weird for you where you have to kind of remind yourself that it wasn't all daisies and roses. Yeah. Like 
everything. I just, I always remember the good stuff. And so then logically I can be like, you know, I did, that was hard, but I just don't, it doesn't feel hard anymore. I don't know. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's because like, as we get better at things, they feel less hard and we grow past what was challenging about it. You know, like, it's like, like when you have to do something new for the first time and it's so terrifying and you think you can't and you want to throw up and die and then you do it and then you're like, oh, that was nothing. Now I can do it whenever I want. So it just becomes like second nature. So then it's harder to look back and remember when it was difficult. Um, yeah. I wonder if that's part of it. Yeah, I think that is. Which also makes it difficult when you're trying to create content for people that haven't yet overcome that hurdle. So reconnecting with how it used to be for you. Yeah, and having compassion for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, oh, I know it's so scary. I'm over here like, just do it. <laughs> just close a sale. Just do it. It's not hard. Just do it. <laughs> Asking for money isn't hard. Just do it. Um, speaking of money, I would love to know, what was your first paying job? Um, when I was 14 or 15, I started working at a, um, a restaurant that would do weddings and catering events. So on the weekends I would go and I would be a server there and I only made, I don't know, like $2 an hour, but I would get a hundred dollars a night in tips. So that was pretty cool. What did that teach you about money, do you think? You know, I have taken a very long time to learn good money management techniques. So especially because I was working since I was 15, but I didn't need to pay for any expenses. I saw all that money that I was making as I can just spend it. And so it didn't teach me anything responsible, that's for sure. <laughs> at what point did you did you decide to become I'm going to use the word intentional again because it's a theme here at what point did you decide to become intentional about your money management I think when I turned 30 I was like okay it's time to be an adult now to be responsible with my money because I mean I'm married as well so it's not just affecting me I need to improve my credit score how has that changed like being in business or not I don't think it, no. No, it just carried over. Yeah, I think I, I saw my business then as an opportunity to make some extra money so that I could pay off debts. Mm -hmm. What has been the most challenging thing when you talk about like good money management? I'm curious what that means to you. Like, what does it mean to you to be like good at managing money? I think always saving first, having a reasonable budget that I stick to each month and not saying like, oh, this course looks awesome. I want to learn about that. Let me enroll. And then I've enrolled in 300 courses before I know it. And it's like, have I really gone through all of them? Did I really need all those things? Could I have saved that twelve dollars or $15,000? So I think my desire to just like continuously learn new stuff gets me in situations where I just want to buy all the things. Is that challenging? It is because there's always that like thought in the back of my mind that, Oh, if I buy this, like they have some kind of secret knowledge that I don't know and I need to buy it. That's the only way that I'll find it out. But that's almost never the case. So I think I just need to remind myself like, 
if this is the right thing for me, it will come up again. It will cross my path again. And at that time, then I can look at it. Mm -hmm. What else has been challenging about kind of going from feeling irresponsible with your money to feeling like a good money manager who's like a, a good steward of your money? Well, one of the things I've done is I have a savings account, which is in a completely separate bank from my checking account. And so I've also set up automatic withdrawals so that it goes to my savings. And then if I were for some reason wanting to dip into my savings, it would actually take like three to five business days to get that money. So then by that time, it's like, well, I might as well not do it. What's, what's hard about it? Has, or has anything been challenging about it? Kind of shifting how you treat your money? It's felt more empowering. It makes me proud now to know that I have almost all of my debts paid off aside from student loans and that I have money in a savings account. So like if something were to happen, I got it. I, I feel good about that. I feel like an adult. What's next for you financially speaking? I think after I hit my savings goal of having like six months saved up, then I want to start investing because I haven't done that. And I am 32 now, so I need to start thinking about retirement. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> I don't think about retirement ever. <laughs> No, I mean, like, I need to start thinking about saving for it because with compound totally. interest, I know it's going to make a difference. Totally. It does. The sooner you start putting money away and you let that money grow for you, the better, right? It's like the, the opposite of what your student loans do. The more you can do that in the positive, the better. Yeah. So, um, I just think it's funny because I, like, don't think about retirement and whenever someone says that word, I'm always like, that's so interesting. Like, I know that I'm at that age where you're supposed to think about that and care. And I've been, I've known that for a long time. Um, what do you want to do when you were like, what are you, when you would, when you say the word retirement, what do you imagine? Like, what's, what do you picture for your life when you're retired? I don't think I ever really will retire because I don't see myself not wanting to do some kind of work. So I'll probably just earn less money at that point because I won't need it for bills and stuff. But I think I'll always be doing some kind of work creatively. Mm. Do you think that it'll change? Like you'll be doing different creative work than you're doing now? Or, or do you think it'll, do you see yourself always kind of dabbling in the visual area, if that makes sense? Yeah, I don't know. I am open to it changing. I've been really, for some reason, feeling this desire to have like mastery over something. And then I recently learned about the term polymath, which is like, you've mastered several different areas. And so now I kind of want to achieve that. <laughs> so I think web design might be one thing and then I might find a couple of other things to work on. What's on the short list of things? Maybe writing like a fiction book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Just, you know, making note. <laughs> it is, there's something about like achieving mastery, right? Like putting in your 10,000 hours and actually getting there. And yeah. I, I, I think so few of us actually do. 
Well, I think you probably have achieved it. I mean, you have a master's degree, which is a mark of mastery. I mean, I don't think a master's degree means you actually mastered something. I just think it's like means you did all the credits that it takes and paid all the money and like did the work. I don't even know if the master's is 10,000 hours all put together. I'd be so curious to see. I definitely feel at this stage of my life, I've, I've achieved a level of mastery with screenwriting and storytelling. Um, I'm like about to start my 10th feature length screenplay. So to me, having gotten to 10 is like, oh yeah, this is definitely, we're definitely at 10,000 hours now. Um, probably with copywriting strategy stuff, but it's funny because there are so many things to master. Like I think about things like learning another language. <laughs> yes, that too. Actually being able to, to feel comfortable speaking another language, right? There are two that I'm like not remotely comfortable with, but can kind of understand. But how great would it be to be able to like understand more languages? Um, right. I've always wanted to learn multiple languages and I'm just so lazy to do it. <laughs> Is it laziness? I wonder well, if it would, if it could be done in like 10 minutes a day, if like that was, you know, you can have, you could have post your content, <laughs> study your language, check the things off the list, put the X on the calendar. And then in three years, not only will you have your <laughs> online business where you want it to be tribe wise, but you will also speak another language. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> another thing, right? Optimizing our day. So it's maximum efficiency. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Um, that's a whole other thing that I don't even know that I completely believe in. Do you believe in that? No, I think it's so hard. And I've been trying to develop good habits. Like I work out 45 minutes to an hour every morning now. And I thought, well, that will spill over and I'll be more productive and do more other awesome things. But it really hasn't happened that way. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, okay, I worked out. Now I just want a nap. Yeah. It's like, okay, I did my one thing for the day. <laughs> it's funny because there's um, there are some schools of thought that like you only have so much willpower, apparently. I don't know. I've read that somewhere. There's only so much willpower you could possibly have. So you don't want to, you have to be like, where are you spending it? So like if you have to push yourself really hard to do something because it's high, highly resistant or something you don't enjoy, you kind of have to save your willpower for that thing. And then the rest can be, you know, quote unquote easy. The things that you've already like overcome the stress, the anxiety of doing gotten out of the comfort zone previously. Um, I just find it so interesting. Productivity is fascinating to me because I don't know that there's a way to perfectly manage our energy like ever. No. And especially as a woman where we have like a cycle. So we are always changing. It's not uh -huh. like you can have one routine for every day. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I should dive in deeper on another episode specifically on that. Um, but it's just so true. I, you know, there's so many different factors that go into like how you feel on any given day you know, not to mention like having a personal life and like deciding sometimes to stay out late to have fun with your friends because that's a value, you know? Yeah. You can't wake up every day having like the perfect amount of rest and nothing kept you up all night. Like it's not real life. <laughs> right. Yeah. But living your values, I think is a good point that you made. Yeah. Living your values. And like, I think the funny thing about productivity is like, can we st like, let's not try to be robots. Like let's actually just be better humans. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note, um, I would love to hear, because I know that you have a new course that you've put together called Elevate. 
Um, and I would love to hear about it before we wrap up. Cause I know that that was something that, that you're really excited about right now. And so I always, I always want to hear what things are most exciting you. So if the answer to what things are most exciting you is not elevate, <laughs> then you can answer differently. But if it is, then you can tell us about elevate. <laughs> Honestly, I think what's most exciting me now is my team for for my day job is growing. And so I'm getting to step more into like this leadership position and learn more about that aspect of it. And so I'm excited about my role in, in my day job. But Elevate is cool too. I think because I've taken so many courses that are just kind of self-paced and I need more personalization and accountability than that. So I kind of baked that in to elevate in the sense that you get two one-on-one calls with me. One of them is unlocked after you've gone through and submitted homework for the first four modules. And that way I can provide that personalized support for people and give them some accountability to actually get through it. That's awesome. So oh, throughout the course, they, they DIY their website. Yep. So it really, um, the first two weeks are diving into their standout brand strategy, what sets them apart, getting clear on their differentiation and their own unique personalities. And then just my process then for taking that and building a website. So great. So I have one more question before we wrap up. And that question is, it's literally the $5 million question. Um, So if you had $5 million, like totally tax-free, just appeared for you from an anonymous benefactor in an account, what would you do with that money? What would change, you know, A, like what would shift in your life and what would you do with that money? I would invest it in a diversified, you know, thing with my financial advisor. And I mean, that would be enough that I would never have to work again. And so I would just feel such a weight lifted because I wouldn't have to worry about being let go or laid off. And I could just go about my day trying to do my best work with really no financial worries. What would your best work be? Would you still like go to your day job and do your best work? Would you change the way you're showing up for your business? What do you think that would look like if you didn't have the financial pressure? I think I would keep doing what I'm doing now um, with my day job and my side business and continuing to explore what lights me up and what areas I can add most value, what I'm uniquely suited to do for people. That's beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much for being with us, Megan. Um, is there any, where should I tell people to stalk you? And keep in mind, all these links will be in the show notes, guys. So you can always go check that out. Well, my website, Is there anywhere in particular? Yeah. Uh, my website's craftingcreative.com. And I am on Instagram at Megan Creative and Facebook at Crafting Creative. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you, Jamie. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Creatives Making Money, but don't go anywhere without subscribing. And remember, after the show, it's the after party. We do a weekly after party on Facebook Live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Each week, I'll be jamming live on special actionable takeaways for you from that week's episode. So go to creativesmakingmoney.com slash afterparty to join us. And if you're looking to connect with more listeners and like-minded creatives, you totally can. Remember, part of the purpose of this podcast podcast is to create conversation. And so my biggest hope is that you continue the convo in our private online Facebook lounge. You can head to creativesmakingmoney.com slash group to join the free group. And as always, you can find all important links and details in this episode's show notes available at creativesmakingmoney.com slash crafting creative. Do not hesitate to head over there now. And as always, create like you mean it. This episode is sponsored by Copy That my signature course for writing websites that speak volumes and sell, something that every creative making money for sure needs. To learn more about my approach to writing that sells, you can visit thecopythatcourse.com slash free training.